Okay, this morning, if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn over to Remy in Acts 17. I do have the scripture up on the screen as well, so if you don't, feel free to follow there. Um, but as we begin there, let's just take a moment and pray before we do dig into the scripture this morning. And if you would, just pray with me. I've, I've already been praying for you for three weeks, specifically for this morning. Um, Matt and I actually are working on trying to do better about planning out when I speak and when he speaks. And towards that end, we actually had it already planned out that I was going to start here this morning. And towards that end, I've been praying that God would bring you here this morning, the right people to hear what is God has placed in my heart. It's not the exact message I started with. I thought I was going to go much further into this passage. I'm going to only deal with a couple of verses this morning. But I do feel strongly that you are here for that purpose. And so pray with me towards that end. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the way you guide and direct. We thank you for the way you provide. Even as we were reminded this morning through praises of just sharing the way you pro provided in safety here, provided in individuals for this ministry, provided for the birth of new children. God, you are at work. We praise you for that. We ask this morning specifically that you would work in our hearts. This morning we are going to be talking about some details of history, but also about our response to the present world we live in. God, I pray that none of us would walk away unchanged from hearing your word. We pray that your word would be true and be powerful this morning to each one of us. We ask that you would allow my thoughts to be clear this morning so that my words might clearly inform, sh share your truth this morning. Pray that you would guard everything that I say to be in line with your word. God, I also pray that as we together listen to you and seek after you, that we'd find you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Acts 17, this is where we're picking up here. It's verse 16 and 17. And what this is going to mark is a bit of a change for Paul. Because up to this point, time and again, he's going to be going primarily to Jewish centers. Like we saw that again and again, he mentioned synagogue. I went first to the synagogue. I ministered to these Jews. And we are going to see a change here. And it starts right off with that. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, and we know Athens is in Greece. It's actually a huge city there. It was in, in its day was a major capital of the country of Greece and that. So this is where he's talking about. But it says this. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him there. Now, this would have been commonplace for Athens at this time, to have these different worldviews, different philosophies, and we're going to talk more about them. But it says, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. We're going to start with this, what is it that Paul saw here. Like towards that end, like we realize back in the scripture, he saw that the city was full of idols, and this city specifically is Athens. 
to get a little bit of a feel for what that would have meant, Athens at this point, this was past its heyday. This was past its golden era. Like if you're describing Athens, realize it was connected with the Greek um, philosophy, Greek influences. They had influenced all of the known world at the height of their power. And then they were taken over by the Romans. While Paul's writing here, it was the Roman Empire which ruled all of this area. Now, this city of Athens was a free city, which meant that they were able to govern themselves, they were able to carry on much the same way it had back in, what, the central time of theirs. Because uh, historians sort of talk about this time when Paul would have been there as, if anything, the late afternoon of their time. There was, their influence on the world was almost diminished and gone. But it's, let's not push past, though, where this city was, because this is the same city that produced philosophers that even influenced us today. Have you ever heard of the Socratic method? It's simply referring to like teaching with questions. Have you heard about this? Have you considered this? That type of thing. It came from a specific philosopher from here, Socrates. He also then taught Plato, who taught Aristotle. Even if you don't know much about those individuals, you can realize, hey, those were important names in history. They made a big influence. I won't bore you with the details, but these types of philosophers made a huge impact on the way we think today. The way we see stuff. Like, there's this thing called a worldview. You're like, what? What? Are you? All, and all that is saying, it's the way you see the world that's around you. Your worldview might be different than my worldview. And it could be just a difference of a few thousand miles, because I grew up in Canada. It could be the difference of, I had Christian parents. Maybe you did not have Christian parents. Maybe, in my case, I grew up going to church, which meant that from a very young age, I heard many of the Bible stories of the Old Testament, New Testament. So in, almost ingrained in my thinking is that your worldview might be slightly different than mine. What can, that becomes important here because we're actually going to see how that Paul was talking to people with different worldviews. He mentions the synagogues. They would have shared many of that same like, culture, the Jewish society. There was traditions. There were holidays that they celebrated. Things that their parents had told them from a very young age, these are important. So now he's coming and he's talking to these Greeks and these different philosophers. They're starting with a different worldview. Because from the time they were little, they had been told different things. They were told different things are important. Now in this case, just a random fact, why would have they said that Paul seemed to be babbling? Was it the fact that he couldn't speak? No. Paul was actually trained to be a great speaker. He was part of the Sanhedrin in the Jews. Like He grew up being able to articulate what he wanted to say, build an argument, express his thoughts, and we saw he did that really well with the Jews. Why were they saying that, for example? A little bit of history. They, they try and like, have a continuous worldview that was very important within the philosophers. Therefore, 
if they're only understanding bits and pieces of what Paul had to say, it seems like this doesn't make sense, back to the same thing I just said, with my worldview. The reality is, and we're going to see much later in this chapter, some of these people got it. And it was not just babbling. And the difference there was it began to change their worldview, began to change everything that they saw, everything that they believed. That's the laying a little bit of a foundation. So when it says he was in Athens and he saw the city that was full of idols, an example of this might have been this. This is a statue of Zeus. And now, surround, and it's going to talk about going to the marketplace. There would have been streets that were lined with idols. They may have been, just for example, just the head of a statue, just like this. They mention a marketplace. And I tried to pull up a picture of the marketplace for you, but as I was searching, all I found were more modern marketplaces of Athens. I couldn't find like a, a historical one. But it was very common to have idols like this. So when he's there saying, I saw this, and this is the way he felt, realize that he was coming at it with a different worldview and a different history. In the same way, there's an awesome quote, and this is from Tony Meredith, the same author that um, Pastor Matt had been sharing a lot with. He says this, We as Christians enjoy many of the same things those who don't know, don't know Jesus enjoy. But we look at them differently. We look at them through a different set of lenses. We see the arts differently. We listen to music differently. We view ethnicity differently. We view the poor, the orphan, the widow differently. We view money differently. We view sex differently. We view marriage differently. We view food and drink differently. We view death differently. See, the world differently. Because we filter everything we encounter through the right perspective of God's self-revelating Revelation, rather, in creation, in Scripture, and ultimately, His Son. That's a lot to take in. But the basis is saying this. If you believe the Gospel, if you believe in the Son, that's going to affect the way you see everything around you. In the case here, what upset Paul so much were these idols. And, and to our thinking, it's like, that is such a foreign idea to see a carved idol, like, we go back to this here, like, to see something like that, that is just a foreign concept. Um, gotta say, like, someone's gonna bow down to that, that seems foolish. Like, the reason you would say that, the reason you would think that, is your worldview. But here's the reality. We have things in our society that are idols. We have things all around us that compare to this. Uh, like for example, here you might say, idols can take the form of the need of peer approval. What the people around you think. The relentless pursuit of success and money. Yeah, that can be something that I spend my time seeking after. The drive for sex, pleasure, or food, all consuming allegiance to a sports team. And moving on. To the pursuit of education. 
or maybe even show of obsession with an individual. Christians bear the responsibility of destroying such idols in our lives and then lovingly pointing them out to our culture so that others may also understand the pursuit of idols won't satisfy. Okay, so we started this verse here with this thinking and approach that what Paul saw was entirely different than what I see. And see, this is why I love context and love history and love things like this. Because you start drawing that connection back and forth. He walked around and he saw this marketplace, these streets, this city that was filled with idols. And then I think that seems foolish. Wait a second. What was my worldview? What is their worldview? No, if I recategorize this a little bit and realize, what is it that people around me spend their entire effort, all of their time, their just pursuit of pleasure, everything, meaning for life? Wait a second. That sounds a lot like what these people were doing. So when Paul's saying this, I saw this, there's some for us to say, if I open my eyes and I'm then trying to draw this comparison, I'm going to see some of this. I've I got to say, when I was like, like that switch went off in my brain as I was preparing for this, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have thought to define it just that way. I definitely thought long and hard about what I have allowed to impact my worldview. That's not a new thought to me. But this thought in the sort of that categorization he was starting to use for idols and saying as we look around us, like drawing that comparison, I'm like, wait a second. I went from thinking that was foolish to thinking I am surrounded by idols. I am continually needing to evaluate even within myself. Wait a second. Do some of these idols have a hold on my heart? Have I allowed some of these same things to be the substitute to the point of saying, this is my purpose for being. This is the way I am spending my time. I gotta say, this is why I totally changed what I was about to say this morning. But let's move on a little bit further here. So we had already seen this quote, and we say, but what we had started with, what Paul saw. But now let's go back and say what he felt. Because it says here, his spirit was provoked. And this is a really interesting word here, and it, and it gets hard to translate into English. Sometimes that word for provoked is to be angry. But that's not all of it. Uh, it. It also includes the idea of like a longing after something too. And that's why it, it's a unique word in the Greek, but then we're trying to bring it over to English and trying to do that. I think the best way is that's why you go further and try and describe how Paul responded to see more of this. Because it, if we simply think when we hear that word provoked, we're thinking anger, we're, seeing, we're not seeing all of it. And part of the reason I would say that is, if it was just anger, 
Okay, then he's going to tear down these idols and break up the idols. Okay, we went to Athens and we saw this street and there wasn't a single idol left. Oh, Paul's been here. Then you go to the next city. Oh, wait, Paul's been here. No, it's more than that. Because we see what his next response was. It's this. So he reasoned in the synagogue. I think if it was just that it was anger, it would have gone a different direction. If it was just anger was his response to looking around him and seeing a world filled with idols, filled with people that missed it. Anger is not enough of it. I think it also includes this, where he goes on to reason with them, goes on to preach to them. And it goes on where it's not just to the synagogues, it's also to the marketplaces. It's not just to the Jews... And that's where Paul also goes on to become, he's almost referred to as the apostle to the Gentiles. Because he didn't just stay with the Jews in this ministry. He makes it part of his ministry and life of reaching out to these Gentiles. And Gentiles are simply those who are not Jews. That's the simple difference there. Again, I I thought this was an awesome quote and I want to share it with you. The lesson for Christians here involves the state of our hearts. If your life doesn't reflect both sweetness and thunder, you will either be a coward or obnoxious when it comes to sharing your faith. I just... My appreciation for his thoughts that Pastor Matt has been trying to share with us grew with statements like this. When you... like. I've understood sort of that need for that balance, but I, and I'll leave this up here in case you want to write it down. That balance there, and the way, in, and just, I, he so hit it. If you don't get both this, an anger, but also, is it the sweetness, he says, you will either be a coward or obnoxious when it comes to sharing your faith. It's easy to imagine, well, what does the coward look like? Well, he's the one who simply doesn't say anything. Okay, what does it look like when he's obnoxious? It's, it's less comfortable for us to talk about because sometimes we're close to being there, perhaps, or we've known people who are there. What the obnoxious starts looking like is when you've got that person and you've got to say, okay, what they're saying has some truth to it. But the way they just said that, what were they thinking? Or, maybe you didn't even run into the person who said it. This is the heartbreaking part for me. Is when you run into the person who heard it. And you're honestly trying to share faith with them. Share, this is the most significant thing in my life. It has changed me. It could change you too. And it's in one ear and out the other. Because, yeah, I knew someone who was a Christian. They were a hypocrite. They were a bigot. They were racist. They hated people. That's not my God. What happened? And here's where it happened over here. When you went off the rails over here as well, where that you were to the point of being obnoxious. The point of trying to say something with truth, but yet it was to the point of like so hard-nailed or so rigid that you're like, 
That's a minor point. What this person needs to hear is the gospel. This person isn't a Christian yet, therefore they're not going to understand this point. This is not the major point. This, it can really happen. Or individuals who call themselves a Christian and I question whether they understood the gospel right. In the name of Christianity, say such and such, and then again I come over to the heartbreaking part of hearing someone who's heard them and it's like, no, no, but plead in one ear and with the other. That's why this becomes important for us. We cannot change what that other person said as the obnoxious person. We're going to call him for a moment. We can't change that. But my goodness, we can change what we say. We can change. Have we understood this? Have we understood both the sweetness and the thunder? Has our responses, our words, been diligently seeking to share our faith, not being just a coward of never saying anything, trying to be clear and honest, genuine, loving, so that we're not falling in that ditch over there of being obnoxious. Um, And I also love this here. Turn your attention to Psalm, because this, I think, sort of encapsulates that idea. When you're trying to do both, and the response then to something full of idols that could produce just anger, let it also produce this, this desire. This is Psalm 67, 1 through 5. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, sila, which means peace, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the people with equality, equity rather, and guide the nations upon the earth, Selah. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. I feel like this is part of the response that Paul genuinely is having. Because as you look in a much bigger scope of what was Paul like, how did he present the gospel? There is no way you're going to call him a coward because he was bold to share the truth. He was not afraid to share, this is what the Lord says. This will change your life. What you have always believed is missing something or it's completely wrong. Like that was not absent. He spoke the truth. He shared the gospel. He went to people who never heard it. He went to people who thought they understood and did not understand So that wasn't it. He wasn't a coward. But I also feel like you can say that he wasn't obnoxious either. That it was tempered by love and compassion and a desire for these people to really get it. I think you see that in times and examples when speaking of his own people, I wish that I could suffer condemnation on their part. And you you think, wait a second. His compassion that they would understand the gospel was strong enough to the point of saying, perhaps them rather than me, God. Wow. To kind of fill in on a personal aspect where this really came home to me in addition, I want to share with you some about a place that is near and dear to my heart. This is a picture 
from the city of Istanbul. Um, Istanbul is in the country of Turkey. I lived and worked in Istanbul for a number of years, uh, but, but a year and a half steady. Um, before going there, I went on a missions trip from Northland to go there. We spent six weeks there. I was learning the language, learning to meet people, trying to be a help, trying to do whatever. This building is very, very old. And it's there in what is now Istanbul. It was built when the city was still called Constantinople. You know why they had the difference in the name? Christian, Muslim. This nation was taken over by the Turks. The Ottomans became Muslim. You see that in this building. This building was built um, way back when it was still the Byzantine Empire. Byzantine, simply, it was the eastern half of the Roman Empire. This would have been built about 600, 500 years after Paul. It's actually just across the peninsula. Like, you have Turkey, then you have Greece over there. Um, this building was, interestingly enough, it was one of the empires of Byzantium that built the building. It was Justine. Um, crazy details. He built it because he really upset the people and he wanted to please them. It was a huge riot. They almost took the city over for him. He's like, no, no, I'm going to please you. I'm going to build a huge cathedral. So this is a um, raising of that. Uh, uh, so it was to the Christian. Christian faith, it was there to worship God. This building is huge. It's 270 feet long, 240 feet wide. The top to the bottom, the highest point there is 180 feet. About as big as you can build without putting steel into it. Amazing building. Look at this picture and you'll notice that there are four pillars. That's the first sign there of, it, of its influence of Islam. Those are minarets. They were raised when they changed it to a mosque. But it's a fascinating building. When, there, there, but there's, I want to take you on a little bit of journey that this building helped me take. Because in the surrounding area, I told you I love history, totally geeking out. Because right in front of this area, I, I can hardly even show you enough, but you see the fountain in the front foreground, come a little closer to us, there's a hippodrome. They've uncovered it down to the point, I'm literally walking on stones that were part of the hippodrome. Historian, just in, over the moon, loved it. There's, an ob there's three obelisks, you can trace the history of them back to Egypt. <laughs> and I see that look. I see that look you're giving me. It's the same look I give my older brother when he's talking about tools and a video on internet, and you got, you got lost on the internet looking at tools. I know that look. This, I, I'm getting to the good part. Don't worry. Okay, so there's that part of me. And my wife can attest to that part of me. I get lost on YouTube, documentaries on YouTube. And she's like, it's a documentary. Okay, moving on. That part of me was there. And like, I'm looking at this building, and I can see the structure, and then... I can see some of, I read about how they built that. And then, wait a second, that's a dome and then a concentric dome where it's off to this side to support the weight of that. Geeking out. Okay, moving on. This is when you come inside, though. And I'm telling you, 
It is breathtaking. This bit, like you see where that there's actually gold inlaid in certain parts. You can see what they call some mosaics. That's where they take this tiny tile and place it into the plaster on the wall to make these very intricate designs. They had them of Mary, of Jesus, of some of the apostles. They also had it of some of the emperors leading up before Justina. Justine, breathtaking. In it, even if you don't geek out like I do, you walk in this building and they still other people love it too. Don't, don't worry. Where you're actually standing at this point from this picture, I've stood there. You're standing up on the mezzanine, the second layer. This is a spot where the empress would have watched the service from. And it's one of the best views in the entire building. But notice, I mentioned the first part where you saw those minarets. See those huge circles, the left and the right, where they have, wait a second, that doesn't look quite the same. Symbols there where it was converted over to a mosque. What's not evident in this picture is where when when the uh, Muslims took over, they just plastered over these mosaics. The history hates it. The Christian in me hates it. But it's a tear. It's at this point when I'm walking through this building where I can almost feel the anger of what Paul is thinking. (laughs) I'm telling you, you remember how much I was geeking out at the Hippodrome? I walked inside, and I'm taking it in. Then I walk upstairs and see some of the firsthand you can only see bits and pieces of those mosaics where they've tried to uncover them, but because as they were trying to uncover them, pieces fell off. And you're thinking, well, this is beautiful. But what would this have been like? And the anger <laughs> rolling up. But here where it didn't stop there. Um, I've been to this building probably four or five times. It didn't matter that it cost 40 or $50 to get in the door because it's a museum. I, I just kept going back. Because it was in this building where my heart broke for the Muslim people. The very first time when I was doing that six-week internship that I was telling you about and went there, it was this building and the realization that these people are lost. These people don't get it. So many of these people haven't even heard of Jesus, let alone what that really means. Let alone that he was the one who was God, come in the flesh, died, haven't even heard it. I went from being out in the Hippodrome, geeking out, to crying inside there. Because as much as this is just a gorgeous place, it almost also symbolizes sometimes when the darkness that has come over that land and thinking, how can I not speak up? How can I not come back here? And went back there and lived there for a year and a half. Was part of planting a church there. Still have friends who live there. I have a friend who became a Christian who... uh, Ended up marrying an American girl just last week. Got married, and I was like, "Yeah." Was a... um, but I bring you on this journey for the purpose 
that you might see some balance as well. In, first of all, what do you see in the world around you? Do you see some of that parallel I'm talking about? Where that we also walk, live, and breathe surrounded by people who also live their life worshiping idols, missing it, seeking this to find satisfaction with something. We know that will never bring the satisfaction you are longing for. It just won't. But what is our response to that? There's lots of questions I could bring to you. And some of them are, what do you allow to impact your worldview? And we could actually spend a lot of time discussing that question. Because if it's just your bringing up that has impacted your worldview, your then response to this or your response to the marketplace will be very different. You can see how it might be. Instead of looking at the idols that are surrounding these people, it no longer seems like foolishness. It's like, wait a second. That's the way every one of my friends live. They live for the next opportunity to do X, Y, or Z. That does not seem foolish to me. Sometimes that's because what have you allowed to affect your worldview? What have you allowed into your heart, into your mind, into the, just like the foundation of the way you approach everything around you. We really could spend a lot of time there, but that's a foundational type question that just ongoing. We will change and address, and your worldview today, I'm sure, is not the same worldview you had a year ago, nor five years ago, but here's the exciting part. It doesn't have to be the same in five years from now. It can be changed. You're on a journey. It can change too. You can adjust it and you can keep adjusting it and you can keep choosing to let the gospel, to let God's truth, let that impact the way you see the world around you. And the more you do that, the more that's going to impact than your response. The more that that is going to impact when you look around you What's the most upsetting thing to you around you? You ever thought about that question? What's the most upsetting thing about the world around you? Is it that the wrong team won X, Y, or Z? Is it that immigrants are coming in and flooding the country? Is it that I've got the wrong or the right person in this political office? Is it this or that? Or you can see how those can compete for our thinking, for our emotions, for our responses. I gotta say, I fall into that trap. And I'm not I'm just not going on that tangent, but I want you to understand that those aren't the most important questions. And because those are not the most important questions, even if sitting in this room we disagree on some of those questions, we can still come here and share this same response to the gospel, the same response to the world around us, because we are diligently trying hard 
to make this impact our worldview, take this impact the way we see the world, take this and make this about what most upsets us, what most excites us, that most motivates us. And I've got to stop here. I told you there was just no way I could get as far as I originally thought I could get. Matt and I will talk about it, but I may finish the next section next week. Or he may. We're definitely going to the next section. But when you start laying this context for it, it gets so exciting to see, well, what did Paul say? How did he respond? Because we're starting to build up and see this was his feeling. This was his, the way he was viewing this. Well, what did that result for him? What can that result for me? Well, we're pausing here now. Let's close in word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, work in us. Change us. Day by day, week by week, allow us to be informed by your word. Because you know when we leave this building how many other things are trying to inform us. God, open our eyes and our heart to your word, your truth. Continue to change us. Continue to mold our thinking. God, I firmly believe that these types of battles are won and lost in the way we think about this world around us, oh, the way we think about our very being. God, work in us. Change us. You are more than able to do this. Allow us to be open to that change and continue doing it. God, I pray for strength for every one of us this week because we will be bombarded by other thoughts, other worldviews, other things that would compete for our most strongest, both exciting and upsetting responses. God, don't let us get sidetracked this week. Start here, start this week, work in us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.